Good morning, and thanks for joining Tyndale's Chapel podcast. My name is Reverend Dr. Joan DeVries. I have worked at Tyndale previously. I'm an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church, and I presently serve as a professor of worship arts at Trinity Western University in Langley, BC. Change. People who didn't like change should not have signed up for the year 2020. A virus that we can't even see has sent the whole world into some unexpected changes. Now, ordinarily, some of us probably love change. We like the idea of new possibilities, fresh experiences. Others of us, not so much. We are reluctant, maybe even terrified. Why do we have to change? Why does growth have to mean change? We feel more like the hobbit Bilbo Baggins when the wizard Gandalf comes to seek him out. Gandalf says, I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find someone. To which Bilbo replies, I should think so. In these parts, we are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. Nevertheless, here we are. Changes, choices, life is full of them. So we're opening God's word to Psalm 1 together. Psalm 1 is the threshold, the entranceway that orients us to the rest of this book of wisdom. It signals the beginning of a journey of choices along the way, choices that will involve deliberate attention to change. Come enter with me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Look at how the psalm starts. In fact, how then the whole book of Psalms starts. Blessed are those who. That's a formula that's familiar to Bible readers because Jesus uses it too in his Beatitudes. And so to start off this whole book of 150 Psalms, we have a statement of blessing, a beatitude. The Psalm paints a picture of the person who's living in a state of blessedness, a state of happiness, joy, deep contentment. It's as if an outside observer sees this person and exclaims, oh, the happiness of the person who lives this way. Isn't it wonderful to see? 
Look how rich and full and content their lives are. In fact, other translations say, Oh, the joys of those who, or some others translated as, Happy are those who. How do you end up in this state of happiness? Well, the psalm lays out some steps or marks of such people. Stephen Covey wrote a famous book in 1989 called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons in Personal Change. It's a book that continues to have a lot of influence. In fact, I recently spotted brand new copies of it again in a bookstore. Covey notes habits of these kind of people, inclinations they have, but then also choices they make, maybe deliberately at first, training themselves. But then these become habits, routine ways of doing things, natural responses to situations. And Psalm 1 has the same kind of model. It lists the habits or inclinations of highly blessed or happy people. The first clues are negative in the sense that they point out things which these people avoid. They either stop doing them or they don't start in the first place. If you are seeking a full happy life, you need to drop certain behaviors. You could say that they fall under the title, they don't follow the crowd. The specific words are, do not walk in the way of the wicked, they do not stand in the way that sinners take, and they do not sit in the company of mockers. Now the crowd here is that the people that are painted, the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers summarizing those who don't walk according to God's ways. Those who ignore the reality that they have a creator who has designed them to live according to his manual. But instead they say, I am the mistress or master of my own destiny. What I want is the only thing that matters and that's how I'm gonna live. For example, one famous man said that Quote, the American dream is reaching a point in life where you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do, end quote. Is that the way God calls us to live, though? There are three actions here. Walk, stand, and sit and three groups of people, the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers. And although they're different words and there could be differences between them, it's also a total picture. It's repeated for emphasis. But on top of that, there is a progression. The progression of temptation, of sin, of one step leading to another deeper and deeper. So first of all, it says, don't walk in step with the wicked. You see, the beginning may be innocent enough. You come across something by accident, maybe. A great bit of juicy information about someone. 
or an illegal insider trading tip or something just pops up on your screen. You didn't invite it, but suddenly it's there and you think, oh, maybe I'll just see what all this fuss is about. How bad is this stuff really? And you begin to travel along that road, quote, walking in step with the crowd. Instead of continuing in your own or God's direction, you get diverted just to see. You think, oh, this is just one little thing. What can it hurt? You know, the temptation that Eve faced was to know more. But in this broken world, knowing more is not necessarily the way of wisdom. And secondly, it describes standing in the way that sinners take. So first you walked along, perhaps a bit by accident, but now you're standing in the way that is known to be that of sinners. And over time, you begin to hang out there. You don't just travel along a little ways by accident. You begin to spend more time there with whatever, the gossip or the drugs or the pornography or the greed or the selfishness or whatever it is. When confronted with a choice by our sinful nature, we'll take the path of least resistance. But the blessed, happy person will make a choice, the right path, not necessarily the easy road. And then the third thing it says is that then you sit in the company of mockers. Because finally, their way of life becomes yours. You sit in their company. Their habits are your habits. Their way of viewing life is your way of viewing life. You have become one of them. You too become a mocker of the righteous, of those who try to live by different principles. They, they can't let loose, you scoff. They don't know how to have fun. They're not free. No. But are you? The Bible says you actually trade one kind of bondage or service to God for another one. Instead of choosing to do things God's way, you become hooked on what others think or on your own pleasure. You become a slave to your own desires, which are also the ones that the ungodly crowd approves of. God's word says that's not freedom at all. It's an illusion, a mirage. In the end, it makes a life that counts for nothing. It will make you like chaff that the wind blows away. Rather than being in control of your own destiny, you become a nothing blown around by whatever whim is blowing that day. Three habits of highly blessed people avoid meaning in, involve avoiding the self-talk, the attitudes, and the habits of the crowd. Walking, standing, and then sitting with choices that lead away from God. To live the happy life, these are things you should not do. And then the psalm pivots to tell us what instead we must do. You could summarize that under saying, develop a one-track mind. 
Its specific words are who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. Fully happy people have a one-track mind doing what God wants. They know the difference between right and wrong, and they've developed the habit of making wise choices. Likely, the choices were hard at first. They took effort. She had to pray herself into doing the right thing. He had to pick up the phone and call his sponsor to help him make the right choice. She had to tear herself away from one activity and make herself do another one. But over time, they become a habit, a reflex, to make choices that lead to life and not death, to a fruitful life and not an unsubstantial one. So where do we find the ability to do that? By meditating on God's law, says the psalm, means by delighting in God's instruction, by turning our hearts and our ears and tuning our spirits to God's will, God's way, hanging out with God's people, getting ourselves into a small group, opening ourselves up to the leading of God's spirit, being still enough to do that seeking God's direction, looking to Jesus as an example, meditating on God's law, allowing it to shape our thinking and our hearts, gives us the strength to live according to its principles. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that a person becomes what she or he thinks about all day long. Let me repeat that. A person becomes what she or he thinks about all day long. And I've often challenged myself and others with the question, what do you think about? What are your what-if dreams? And then you begin to shape your life towards those, whether those are godly or ungodly. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The psalm ends with such a rich picture for us about people who are living a full, happy, grounded life. We get the image of this godly person as a tree planted somewhere by streams of water, not some wild seed that began to take root, but deliberately established by irrigation canals. And although God hasn't been mentioned yet, it is God who does the planting. God who assures that such people thrive. These are images of people flourishing. Imagine a climate where there are few trees. If you have been to parts of Israel, you can envision this yourself. It is unbelievably dry 
rocky, dusty. The little green that you see are things that are growing in the wadis, which is the canals that rainwater will run down through. Trees are scarce. There's little bits of shrubbery and greenery can only grow by water. God is not only the planter, God is also the water. God's people who live near him are green. This image of fruitfulness is used more often in scripture. For example, Jeremiah 17 verse 7 and 8 has a similar picture, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. Note again that they are planted there with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. Trees that are firmly and deeply rooted in God are not troubled when the heat or drought happen. They're not easily swayed. They're not easily shaken. Changes can happen around them up on the top of where they are a tree, but they remain secure because of their root system and the water which nourishes them. When they encounter trouble or adversity or disaster even, there's something unshakable about them because their confidence doesn't depend on themselves or on how well they do or don't do or on the circumstances around them. It doesn't even depend on what others think about them, rightly or wrongly, because their roots go deep, deep down into the water. God's living water, and they can always draw strength from God. Their well-being doesn't depend on the circumstances. It depends on God, and God is faithful. God is true. A mighty fortress is our God. I desire to be that kind of person, don't you? Unshakable, firm in conviction, not from my own goodness, not at all, but that in my own weakness is God's strength. I certainly desire that for the church as well. Firm through adversity. Not because we are so good or do it so right or have all the correct answers, but because we have deep, deep roots that draw water from God even in times of trouble. No wonder that Jesus, on his way with the disciples to Jerusalem to be lifted up, exclaimed, Happy are those who hear the word of God and keep it. People of God, may we be those who hear God's word and keep it. Let me lead you in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you not only plant us by streams and tend and care for us,
but that you yourself are the living water. We thank you for Jesus Christ, in whose name we are saved and through whom we pray. Amen.